The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Congratulations, David, for going over the 200 program mark this week. Your show has gone from zero to more than four million hits per program per month. Well, if you're a corporate sponsor and would like to reach a loyal, upscale international audience, primarily in Europe and America, then you are missing the best advertising vehicle on the planet. In discussion with David Gibbons. For more information, go to David Gibbons' homepage and click on Contact Us. Welcome to In Discussion today. My guest is an internationally recognized marine toxicologist, author, explorer, and founder director of the Marine Environmental Research Institute. She's known for her pioneering research on chemical contaminants in the ocean food web. Dr. Shaw is applying her expertise to the catastrophe in the Gulf by launching an independent, region-wide scientific investigation of the toxic impacts of oil and chemical dispersants on marine life and human health. Also joined today by Pat O'Brien, veteran investigative journalist from Florida. Dr. Shaw, Pat O'Brien, welcome to you today. Good to be with you, David. Nice to be here. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for joining us today. We are obviously going to talk about this terrible catastrophe in the Gulf of Mexico, and I realize that you have recently been down there, specifically in the Grand Isle. Could you give me an update, please, on the conditions in that area? As you know, I was there in late May. That was my first trip down there when I went in the water and dove in the oil slick to see what was happening with the dispersant and get a look firsthand at the impacts and the potential impacts on the food web. But this last week I was in the Gulf, and I must say between late May and now, the situation has become more like a war zone. There's quite a lot of restriction. People in Grand Isle are not, for example, are not allowed to even go on the beach, even though they they live right there, and you have to have a pass from the Coast Guard and BP to put your foot in, in the sand. Otherwise, it's a $40,000 fine, and it's a felony. It's very shut down, I must say. The whole state has, it, the coastal areas have shut down. This happened around, just after I got there, around the weekend of July 4th. Just before that, I think some of this happened. But there, in Grand Isle, for example, there were Coast Guard helicopters patrolling the beach. There were boats on the water chasing anybody who would go out on a boat and fishing boats or pleasure boats or anything and forcing them to get, get off the water. There were people talking to me in the communities there saying that their children couldn't go on the beach. It's restricted zone. 
And one of the photographer colleagues said, is this Louisiana or is are we in a war zone? We have embedded journalists and restricted zones and military command. And it's just a whole, there's a different atmosphere now. And there certainly is a clampdown on journalists, media, and also scientists going now, out on the water. Now, what in, in your mind are the reasons behind this? We know that we have a material that is being used to correct it, which is highly potent and probably has dreadful long-term effects. We also have the methane buildup, and of course we have uh, huge deep levels of oil. Having been down there, what is it to your mind? Is this a, a lack of leadership? Is this simply them not enabling people to help out because it is such a toxic area and that it would be fatal for people to actually visit these areas? What What I is think, it in your mind? Well, if you think about this now, there, there are quite a lot of lawsuits in the air, and I think they have liability and that there is a lot of oil in the water, and if a child should fall in the water, and imagine the amount of the exposure that they might have. That's, I think that's one of the drivers now, and so it's, it's of course, financial. I don't think it's entirely a health concern. I think it's more the liability concern that is shutting things down. That, that's my take on it. Could we take, in the first place here, the correct material that is being used? Uh, Pat O'Brien has been investigating this now for many, many weeks. We are aware that this material has been banned in the UK for many, many years. Could you give us a rundown of the dangers of this material, perhaps not so much in the short term now, but in the long term for both animal life and for human beings? I'd be glad to do that. I've been th thinking quite a lot about this myself. You have to realize Corexit, the dispersant Corexit, there's two Corexits that have been used in the Gulf, one more toxic than the other, but what both of those products do is when combined with oil, they amplify the toxic effects of oil probably a hundredfold. Corexit and oil combined are much, much more toxic than either oil alone or Corexit alone. And as you know, the EPA just came out with the data about the toxicity of Corexit and other dispersants. It was a little bit misleading. I was on the press conference and the exposure is never to one thing. That it's never just to correct it in com combination with the oil. So the reason it's more toxic is that the job of Corexit is to break into a lipid membrane, which is what oil is. So it's, it's designed to break down the oil into smaller pieces, and then and that's the solvents in the Corexit. Corexit and oil contain many of the same petroleum solvents and that's one of the immediate things one thinks about as toxicologists is that we're actually adding petroleum solvents to a petroleum spill and we're doing this in an unprecedented volume so questions came up right away about about doing this and they have certainly there's more and more concern as time goes on but i would say here's the the major thing to keep in mind is that just as corrects it can break into an oil membrane, it breaks into every cell of the body because our cells are protected by membranes that have a lipid layer to them. So corrects it actually breaks down the membrane of the cells 
takes the oil into the body. It's like a delivery system to get oil into any organism that's swimming through this dispersed oil. The first thing you encounter is the solvent. And that's one thing I noticed when I was in the oil, and believe me, I wasn't there very long, was that right afterward I had this fiery sore throat. And it lasted for a couple of days, and I had just fire coming out of my ears. And that's the solvents that are very heavy at the surface layer of the water column after combining with the oil. So it's the solvents in the oil, the solvents in the corexit. It does penetrate skin, and then it takes the oil into the organs of the body, like the liver and the kidney. What is the potential range of this? Is it airborne capable and in your experience having been down there now how far in the event of a hurricane or a system that comes through could this corrects it travel through the air well i think the real problem is with the hurricane is where it's going to take the oil and now we have this dispersed oil with the corrects it in it so it's a more penetrative oil it's a more toxic oil and where is that going to go with the currents and so forth? But I think it's more when you have a Corexit recently applied at the surface and it's combining with oil and you have that surface layer of the volatile hydrocarbons coming off the surface that you get the very concentrated fumes and that are very toxic to, you know, all the membranes in the throat, the eyes, the nose and going down into the lungs and if you inhale this into the lungs you can get chemical pneumonia it just burns through membrane what is the worst of the two scenarios do you think it would have been better not to use the corexit at all or do you think that in some way that it does have a function honestly i do think because we're using the dispersant with the petroleum solvent in it we should not have gone down this road and I have given this a lot of thought and I'm not alone there are a lot of scientists who have had misgivings about it and now believe that we shouldn't have allowed this to happen now what about the people in that area Louisiana Florida all along that pan handle would it be advisable to start considering some sort of relocation at this stage Oh, I think this is a very sad question, and it's something that people are starting to think about. What you have there is the scenario is just, it's almost overwhelming when you're there and you understand it fully. But it, in the area, you have the dispersed oil, the toxic oil in the water in large quantities, and it's being suspended there for a long time because oil down there in the deep, cold water can't weather as quickly as oil on the surface. And so there are already trophic impacts or what you'd call, you know, food web collapse. And so the people that are living there that make their living off the sea, which is a lot of the local people are involved in fishing and the, the seafood industry, so much is gone, so much is dead. In Barataria Bay, where I was the last day there, everything at the bottom is gone. The plankton, the crabs, the shrimp the oysters, everything sitting down there is affected almost immediately by this combination of the dispersant in oil. What would you say are the long-term effects here now? If we're talking to our children, 
How many years or decades do you consider it would be before you saw a reemergence of the food chain in that entire oh Gulf gosh. of Mexico? Well, some things are lost forever. Some generations of fish for shellfish, I think we're looking at decades, and we know that from previous bills. We're looking at decades and decades, and this will affect the children of these families and the grandchildren of these families because they can't afford to be there. And also the food is contaminated in those areas. And then the other problem is that the uh, water column itself and the water table is probably, in any coastal area, there's a certain amount of back flow to a water table. And in between the fresh water and the marine water, when the fresh water goes down to a certain level, the marine water backs up into it. So containing all those solvents and the oil, you know, there's going to be at some point a really high impact on drinking water. And that is probably one of the scariest um, scenarios that we're looking at, in addition to all these other economic in- impacts. And I just heard yesterday, as a matter of fact, from some people in um, Plaquemine Parish there. I didn't speak to them when I was there, but I just got a mail saying that so many of the residents there are becoming ill, and they're asking for help with analyzing their drinking water for chemicals, and their children are ill. It's just... What is it down there that people are feeling now, particularly those in the scientific areas, those that have come in to analyze this? Is it considered at this stage as a complete breakdown of leadership? Well, I, I think you could say there's influence of the oil industry that is driving a lot of the decisions and has been driving those decisions. I think in our leadership, like within the EPA, there's a very strong concern about to go with this trade-off to disperse the oil into the water. Of course, it was a nice fit with BP's desire to get out of sight, out of mind, and not have all the oil come ashore. But at the same time, you did not see a lot of heavy technology down there for months, and months we're only seeing that now, the ability to suck up the oil, keep it off the marshes. So, of course, you haven't, they haven't escaped that impact on the marshes. But I would say that within our leadership, you know, there are, pe- there are individuals that are quite concerned about the decision and have been becoming increasingly concerned over time as you see more and more of the marine life be affected there. And now we're starting to get up to the top of that food web. The shark whales, bigger animals, sea turtles, not just the pelicans. It's just so upsetting to see those pelicans covered. It's sea turtles that are endangered. The next question I would have is, speaking as a toxicologist, what is the predictability of this to spread to food chains outside of that area. If we have strong underwater currents, is it capable to spread these chemicals, to spread this dreadful effect on the food chain to other areas like the Atlantic, uh, other areas around the world? I think this is the unfortunate, unanticipated outcome of dispersing all this oil, that those plumes can get caught up in the loop current now and can go a long way all over. And in many directions, we don't know enough about this, but 
it's likely that it's going to go long distances. Now, as far as the people are down there, before I bring Pat O'Brien in, what do you think realistically that people should be considering now? I think it, they're going to have to relocate. <clears throat> and whose responsibility is it at this stage to relocate them? There seems to be a reluctance by government, by the BP, to really alert people down there as to the health hazards. Is this something that they have to do on their own accord now, given more exposure to these dangers? Well, I think that our agencies must step in, and it is the time to step in, they will. I think that the more we hear about human health problems, and we're going to hear more and more, obviously, <laughs> there's going to have to be a more unified leadership, and it's going to have to be involved BP and involved funding from the federal government, but it's just no less devastating than a Katrina. It's more devastating than a Katrina. It's going to be more long-lasting. It is rather ironic that people around the country are very unaware of the severity of this situation. You can talk to people on the West Coast, and many are really not looking at this. There seems to be a blackout, as it were, with the media. Is this something that you found when you were down in that area, yeah. that it was just not being reported? I think the human health effects are being underreported, and we don't have long-term studies after other spills for some strange reason. It's one of the missing data gaps, big data gaps, but now here there's such devastation, and people are getting sick, and it's not just people on the water, it's people living there. So this is a whole new chapter of this very, very, very sad, tragic story. I think this is a tragedy of unbelievable proportion. We're just living it out. And I must say, as a toxicologist, I've been talking with toxicologists across the country and chemists who are trying to get a handle on what be the potential impacts no one really knows about the deep ocean but when i was there and when when i can go in the water and see this and then talk to people who live on the water then i have a whole different outlook on the whole thing and i understand so much more from being down there a second time and one of the things i want to tell you is about the dolphins i've been working on marine mammals for a long time and they have to come to the surface to breathe so you have this oil in the water column now. They have to surface through it, and as they come up to breathe, they take it into the blowhole. And when that toxic oil goes into these dolphins, it goes right into their lungs, and it goes from the lungs into the bloodstream, and you know, and it causes this any number of effects. This is going to be maybe not so much of a long-term impact because the short-term impacts are so great, but there was a story... <clears throat> that a fisherman told about a dolphin who came up to his boat, and this is very recent. He had taken a boat out with some game fishermen, and he did this illegally. He went out into a, an affected area, but it was out near one of these rigs where there are a lot of big game fish down along the column under the water, and they're fishing, and this dolphin comes up very close to the boat. They look down, the dolphin had oil coming out of its blowhole. The fisherman's immediate response was to move away. He thought his reaction was, there may be a school of dolphins. They're going to eat the fish. Let's get out of here. He moves this boat away, quite a ways away. Ten minutes later, the same dolphin comes up to this boat. 
and it's, again, it's just nuzzling up to the boat. It's got oil coming out of its blowhole. And this dolphin was dying. This dolphin is spouting oil, and that oil is burning out the lungs. It dolphin with pneumonia of the lungs. Every organ of the body is being affected, and the dolphin is obviously dying and coming to a boat full of people for help. And I think this scenario is going to play out with all the dolphins down there, possibly other marine mammals, the manatees, the sperm whales. And this is going to be very, very impactful. And, and it's hard for people to watch this. It's hard for a toxicologist to understand wh- what's going to happen there. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm saying emotionally it's very impactful and very upsetting. May I ask you just final question before I bring Pat in with an update from Florida. What do you think is the long term for these states in that area what are the long-term possibilities for florida louisiana alabama are these states perhaps going to be wiped out by this for many years in so much that people are literally going to have to leave and quite possibly because of the hurricane activity do we have any idea or any models models to suggest yeah i think even without the hurricanes they're devastating impacts if, if you're just there you see that in one trip into Barataria Bay you see so much has died everything's dead in the water column oh I hate to be gruesome but they said that these flies have come uh, up in swarms and that the flies from accumulate from in, in graves graveyards and these flies are out in that bay because there's so much dead material in the water and People are already impacted. Fishermen have been impacted just by skin contact with this dispersed oil. And I told that story the other day about the shrimpers who brought up their net and were shrimping at night and took the net and got water on themselves and it had the oil in it. And they had burning of their skin. This is very typical. The burning skin, woke up in the morning, they had this furious headache that would not go away and for three weeks they had muscle spasms heart spasms and bleeding from the rectum and I said this on air a couple of days ago when I was there and this is a a month ago when they were using the Corex at 9527 so and that's what that the the solvent in, in 9527 does rupture red blood cells but so do some of the solvents in the 9500 that's being used now. So this is a very toxic material in that water column. There are many impacts. Not There's trophic, you know, food web impacts. There's direct impacts. There's short-term. There's long-term. And I think the environment is so contaminated now that people will not be able to live there. But I am just saying I'm mostly focusing my comments on Louisiana. That There are probably... Also, Alabama will be highly impacted. When you get to Florida, it's a state that's not dependent on oil. It's not an oil economy state, and they're very proactive there. We're going to be studying some of the animals there and hoping that the impacts are much less there. But, you know, the oil certainly going to reach Florida and impact the tourism, which is their main economic driver. Notwithstanding what we've talked about here with the Corexit, what are the added complications with the amount of methane in the lower depths of that area? The methane coming up through drinking water 
is a concern, and it's one more component to the toxic mix. I don't think it's the major component, but I think it is certainly a toxic component, and it adds to the inhalation toxicity. And But oil itself is so highly toxic to every organ system, and it causes cancer. Many of the hydrocarbons in oil cause cancer. So we're looking at a long, long haul here. I think it's going to be a long story. It has many, many twists and turns. We, we are not at the end of the story by any means. May I bring you in, please, Pat O'Brien? You're based in Florida. You've been covering this story ever since April the 20th. What, what is the update in that area? What is the level ex- of exposure that people are receiving now in terms of uh, the severity of this situation? First, if I could, David, there's a, there's a couple of things that come into play here. And since we have Dr. Shaw, I noticed, Dr. Shaw, when you were on CNN, and this is the uh, CNN uh, kind of broke the story last Friday. They did the underwater dive with one of their reporters and showed the death that was occurring at the bottom of the ocean. And then they had you on in a segment where you were telling much of what you're telling today. But in your interview, you had also mentioned that there was a day that made a decision to use the Corexit product or not. Who was they that you mentioned on CNN? Well, I think in the beginning it was BP, and BP took the lead. And so they're using their industry insider products. BP is invested in this Nalco Corporation, and Corexit is a, a product which benefits BP, and they've, they've also created large stockpiles of Corexits. And that's Dawn Soap, which is the basis for the Corexit uh, product. Would it be fair to say, Dr. Shaw, that we should stop using this Corexit material immediately? Oh, yes, I think so. And even today we posted an interview I did a radio interview and posted this on my website, maryresearch.org. Also, One Planet, One Ocean. We posted a public petition to stop Corexit, and also we are delivering consensus statement and circulating among scientists to sign off to stop using Corexit. It's just we have to stop this. It's clearly, clearly amplifying the toxic situation in the Gulf. May I come back to you, Pat O'Brien? You have been looking at this for a, a long time now. So am I right in saying that BP are profiting from this material as it is a sub-company of the major holding company? Is, is this what I'm understanding? Absolutely. Nalco Corporation was formed after the Exxon Valdez some 21 years ago after that spill. It was formed by Exxon employees and BP employees at the time. They continued using this product that has been outlawed since 1998 uh, in the U.K., and they did a review on the same product in 2010, and it didn't pass. They have had this nefarious situation uh, going for many years, and it's the fourth most toxic product, according to the EPA, on their list. And that includes the 9,500 right up there in toxicity. And even the Congress asked the question of why it was used. Well, the reason why it was used is the EPA and the Mineral and Mining Services have turned their back on BP because it is also the largest, fourth largest lobbyist just before the election that got Obama elected. 
Doctor, another thing that I noticed, I have a message for you. Just before we went on air today, I got a confirmation that Scott Porter is going to be on our program tomorrow. And as you know, he's the staff scientist with Lumicon. They're getting ready to do some more investigation of this. But he asked me, please, to tell you, doctor, that when you get this message, they need amber bottles. <laughs> and so I just wanted to pass that message along. <laughs> uh, he needs amber bottles. And Scott was on board the uh, ship with Cousteau's son, Philippe Cousteau, uh, was on the CNN ship that did the underwater dive along with their reporter, and he was the one that, Scott was the one that stated if anybody caught the interview where he was on board the ship, he wasn't going to go back in the water again. He, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he is done with being in the water. He's mm-hmm. been in there enough. And Scott's going to have some very interesting things to say on tomorrow's program about this correction product, the dangers that go right along with you. Sorry to interrupt. Dr. Shaw, we're very solution-led here. Let me just ask you, should we seriously now consider, at the least, getting children out of these areas, out of these coastal areas, and possibly into the inland areas of states like Louisiana? Mm, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. I would say that needs to be thought about now. I was with a family in Grand Isle, and their little girl was four. It was just so sad that we were... 50 yards from a beach, and she was playing on her tricycle on the concrete pad of their home. One point, she began feeding the, um, there were some seagulls there. She started feeding the seagulls from some dog chow stuff, and the seagulls came in to feed from her. They were all covered with oil on the, on the belly, and they had diarrhea, and they were just, looked like they were starving. These are really sick animals, and I thought, boy, this is really an area where some of these families should start to move out of here and have helped to do that. Just for our listeners, before I come back to you, Pat, uh, Dr. Shaw, can you just give us a general picture, yourself, coming from yourself now, a general picture of what you saw globally, the sort of images of the sea, images inland, images of these people so it really gives our listeners a clarity as to just how poor this situation is down there mm. well i think our seas in general are so harmed by so many things that we have done we've taken out too many fish we've put plastics in the ocean we've <clears throat> put a lot of co2 in the ocean you know and you can name all these things that are impacting the oceans in a bigger picture and toxic chemicals being one but this oil and the toxicity of the oil in a very large deep water system, the Gulf of Mexico, is perhaps one of the worst situations that we've ever lived through. It's on a global scale, I think it's like a 10. It's, it's impacting people. It's impacting not just certainly people that are trying to work on the spill, but it's impacting people that live there. It's changing the chemistry of the ocean. It's wiping out generations of animals from corals to all kinds of fish and marine life, that some of which will never come back. It's completely changing what we think about when we think about the sea. And for the whole world, the sea, it's a lifeline of the world. It, we totally depend on the oceans to have a healthy planet. What is your confidence level, having been down there, that they can indeed cap this leak that they have? 
I say prayers every night, every night, but I don't have a lot of confidence because we've been told so many times that this would work and that would work, and even the relief wells apparently have issues to them. But each each time there a fix comes up, it sounds like everyone becomes hopeful, and I'm one for hope. I'm a person for hope. I want to believe that we're going to be able to get a handle on this. But I have two things that I would like to see going forward. One is that this is a very transformative moment for everyone. There's no one that's not affected by this. I think this is going to drive us into change. I hope that we take a step into clean energy. I hope that also we take another step, which involves collaboration and dialogue between industry that's going to utilize our natural resources and government agencies that are responsible for health and the environment and scientists and people in these areas that are living on these coastlines. But we, there has to be more dialogue and more transparency in the way we go forward. There must be contingency plans if we're going to take large risks that involve public health and the environment upon which our health depends. Would you advise people in that area from staying away from the coastline areas at this stage? I would advise them from staying away from very heavily impacted areas of water, definitely. What would you say the distance might be, Doctor, that would be a safe zone from the Gulf where it's actually affecting it to inland? How far would you think you would have to go to be able to cover that? Well, the oil has now gone 30 miles into the marshes. And this is one of the things I feel very disappointed about, that there wasn't a, a vigorous attempt to stop that, and there certainly wasn't. We've been using berms and booms that are like 1970s technology and don't work, <clears throat> and it made people sick trying to get out there and skim up the oil on shrimp boats, I must say. But I think there is an inland effect to this, and it's going to impact that water table and the drinking water. So I don't know how to quantify that, but certainly it, it goes quite a ways inland. In social terms, how would you say that people feel down there? Is there anger, despair, fear? What are the levels of that, that situation? Well, you know, when I was there before, people were saying they were in shock, and, and the fishermen were angry, quite angry, the game fishermen and, and everybody, because they couldn't take people out on those boats. They were losing income. This is in late May. They were so angry, but then they would say, well, we believe that BP is going to make this right, and they're going to, they're going to compensate us. They're going to, they're going to fix this, and all, it'll all come back. And now, a month later, I'm down there, and I feel a level of despair. There's a level of fear, and people are actually in grief. I was with the shrimpers on the boat who told their story and, and told about their five-year-old grandson who was who every time gets on the boat puts on his captain's hat and his just every plan to become the captain of that boat and it'll never happen and they began to cry at the after talking for just a little while they put up a brave front and that but they do want you to they want to tell you what's actually happening and they're telling the truth and you know it's it's very tragic and and people are in grief. Pat O'Brien, the conclusions on BP at this stage, 
it's clear now that one has to push this over the line immediately. What are your feelings, what are the feelings of people down there that BP need to immediately undertake, along with government pressure? Well, the problem, David, with Florida, and just example of Florida, I'll give you an idea. I talked to one of the largest advertising agencies in the, the southeast today that's uh, based in Miami, Florida. They have no clue. The media is not saying a word. Uh, CNN was the first one to crack the story at all in mainstream media about how serious this event may be, but they're still speculating. This whole issue is not being taken seriously. I'm dealing with the Mississippi Indian tribe, which is the Hard Rock uh, Cafe. They're not taking this seriously yet, even though they see it coming down the coastline of Florida. Pensacola, Jimmy Buffett did a major concert over the weekend in, in Pensacola area, and they had thousands of people that came down. They gave tickets to the Buffett concert to increase the tourism there. They're still trying to bring people into the state rather than evacuating the state with the potential disaster that's coming to us in a very short period of time. Dr. Shaw, what do you think about that position of people in Florida? Do you think this is, at this stage, very short-sighted of them to continue business as usual? Oh, no. I think this is just that this is their economy. It's the tourism, and I don't think that's unusual, what they're doing. I think they're not as impacted as these other areas, and they also, as I was saying before, they're not, Florida's not an oil state. It's just a neighbor that's getting, you know, some of the, the effects of the oil states. But I don't think it's unusual. We're just at an early stage of things in Florida. And it might be in a month or so, it may be things will change. But I don't think it's time to evacuate or whatever, you know, people. And it's actually better that people are there because then people will see, you know, what's happening in I, th I think that might be a good thing myself. Coming back to you, Pat O'Brien, I'm sorry to interrupt there. I wanted to ask Dr. Shaw that question. What in your mind, being a Floridian, uh, has to be done now? We could all project forward, I know, but that may be rather futile at this stage. We all know that it's rather severe and critical. But what do you think is going to happen over the next three or four months in the way that people are thinking in Florida? Hopefully, they will open their eyes to what the disaster, what is happening to Louisiana, because we're only just a Category 3 hurricane at the most away from the tragedy actually coming up into the full shores of Florida and getting into the Florida Loop. We had Mr. Crusoe on with us not too long ago, who could see where the natural Gulf Loop and the possibility of this oil with the amount that's in the Gulf right now could easily come to both the western and eastern shores of the state. And if that would happen, we're going to be in the same situation as Louisiana because that poison, that Corexit poison, is going to infect us. And it will come right across the top of the Florida Keys. Well, in doing that, you've wiped out a majority of the the fishing and, and all of that type of tourism that Florida is known for. But even worse than that, we're only a, a state that's about 140 miles wide. With it on both of our shores, we're looking at a very dangerous situation, as the doctor has uh, outlined here, in the fumes. And we're not even talking about the methane levels that's going to come with this 
disaster yet, but I, I'm very fearful that we're going to wake up too little. Right now, if we could get the state of Florida's business people to stand up to the government and BP, as some communities have, and said, look, we're not going to take it anymore. We're going to employ the many different options that are out there, everything from hair that's been collected by hairdressers to alpaca to there's a many different ways to clean up this stop up this oil and the corrective product too but these are not being employed dr shaw do you think if you were to project forward at this stage that this is certainly feasible that these areas of florida could in the next six or eight months be susceptible to the same problems that louisiana is experiencing I think, uh, yeah i think they will be impacted but to a lesser degree also, one of the things we see as an opportunity is we are launching some independent research there to look at the fish in Florida and the along the coast there that now and see what it looks like in another two months or so. You know, so we can really take a look at the impacts of the oil in Florida and the research there. Agencies are very proactive. And they're quite angry about the impacts of the oil. So we have opportunities there to, I think, make a difference in that, whereas Louisiana is is quite shut down. As far as our audience is concerned, those that are listening to this from that in that area, Dr. Shaw, what can we inspire them with at this stage so that one day this quite magnificent area is going to return back to something that they can enjoy? One thing people can do, and, you know, they talked about this uh, in Mississippi when the oil was coming on shore, is people can actually uh, really speak out to their officials and uh, insist on um, some technology on that water, like this whale vessel that can suck up the oil meaningfully, effectively, not just the old technologies that don't work. And, and they can insist on that because their economy is going to really be uh, depend on on keeping the oil off those beaches and out of their out of the fishing areas. And that's something people can do become ver- can become active about that. Also, help us get dispersants stopped. We have a online public petition that people can sign on to. It's on my website. Uh, maryresearch.org and One Planet, One Ocean. And they, please help us with this. This is something people can do and it's, it's going to be meaningful. If they continue to use this unabated, what are the possibilities as far as people's health is concerned? Well, I think that it just means there'll be more dispersed oil in the water. It's just that there'll just be more of it, more of an effect, affect more areas, go further. You know, it's just there's more of it. And and keeping in mind that it's the combination of the oil and the corexit that's so highly toxic. And keep, if we can stop that, just, it, it would be at least one thing we can do. We've done this research in with just two and a half people, literally, and we've uncovered a tremendous amount of research. We want to be telling the truth in everything that we're doing. The networks are not putting the news out correctly because they're still taking that large advertising dollar that's out there. They're spending millions in public relations money that is going to the networks. 
if you want to hear more information, we have to expand into a newsroom to be able to bring this information. This is going to be many months of story that's mm-hmm. going to continue. And if you want your news, there's a section on the, the homepage at davidgibbons.org. You can get in contact with us, and we can tell you how you can advertise and how you can help us spread the story. We need to get this story out. It's not getting out through mainstream, and we are talking to a million and a half people right now. There's got to be somebody out there that would support this program and help us expand our news content to bring you the truth on this story, and we will do it. I thank you for that, Pat. And in closing, Dr. Shaw, what will you be doing in the short term? I'm actually getting samples out of the Gulf now to, to analyze. One of the things we are looking at, step one, is we're looking at all the chemical ingredients in Corex that have not been identified. We believe that there are some chemicals in there that are worse than we, than we know at, at this point. The company is declaring these chemicals in groups, like the petroleum distillates hydro-treated light are hundreds of different petroleum compounds and the surfactants as well just the same thing and so one of the things we're doing is getting down to the bottom of what what is that what are we actually dealing with in the core exit itself secondly we are getting as many samples as we can of water sediment and fish to analyze to see what is going up the food chain how toxic it is and it's a specialized toxicological impact study that is not being done. And we're doing that Gulf-wide. That's one of the reasons I was down there is to start this, uh, initiate the study and go across the Gulf over to Florida and get us what we can out of Louisiana. So we have partners on that, including Google Ocean and Mission Blue, the Wadsworth Center at the uh, State University of New York, and my institute, Marine Environmental Research Institute. So it's a, we're launching some research we think will make a difference. I'm also telling the story, and I must say going and being there myself has filled in the, the blanks for me quite a bit. I, I just had no idea how, how really toxic dispersed oil is and how much it's impacting people in the Gulf. And I, it's, it's, as I said, just an enormous, tragic situation. And in conclusion, Dr. Shaw, would you advise people with young children, with children in that area, to seriously consider, just for now, relocating them until this situation improves? I think I would. That's going to be my recommendation based on what I saw this time, to think about the, the idea of getting the children out for the near term and because there is going to be exposure through the water table and you know in the ambient air and I don't want to say something that's scary but I I think it's something that's rational to think about let's put it that way. Dr. Shaw of the Marine Environmental Research Institute, Pat O'Brien from Florida, I thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you doctor for being with us. And to our listeners, hope you have enjoyed this program uh, today and the information uh, that it provides. I think it's fair to say that everybody should look after themselves now and consider at least some provisions to take care of themselves while this dreadful scenario is uh, playing out to the point where one day they can return to this most beautiful area in this world. 
You can gain information on this and the other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Can you imagine your message reaching an international audience with over 4 million impressions per month per program on the most influential radio show on the Internet? And have a link to your corporate website on the homepage. That's what you get when you are on In Discussion with David Gibbons. Not only that, but David's audience gets to hear about your corporation each quarter. For more information, go to David Gibbons' homepage and click on Contact Us. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 